Welcome to episode one of the Sign Up podcast. Uh, my name's James. I'm the CEO and founder of Sign Up. With me also, Omer. I'm uh, also a founder of Sign Up and CTO. One of you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Anisha and I'm the education manager at Sign Up. Uh, and I'm Charlotte and I'm the community manager at Sign Up. Okay, so in the last episode, which we called episode zero, we did a general sort of introduction to uh, what Sign Up is and what we're about, so feel free to check that one out. Um, this episode, I thought we'd um, flip it round a bit, and I thought we'd let Charlotte and Manisha interview uh, myself and Omer, because we're such interesting people, but it would be big-headed of us to interview ourselves. Um, but, uh, joking aside, we've been doing Sign Up for a couple of years now. Um, we've, uh, we started it in university and are now working on it full-time. Uh, so I thought there'd be some um, interesting things that might come out of that. So I'll let the girls take it away. So I think guys might as well go right back to the beginning. Um, how did you guys start sign up? Well, the two of us met at university back in um, 2011, I'm going to say. Um, so Sounds like a long time ago, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, wait. Sorry, I'm being distracted by a little puppy pulling on. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. <laughs> Is it like a receipt or something? Stop. Um, yeah. <laughs> Why are you always with receipts? Put her on the couch. Put her on the couch. Sorry, the 15 member is. <laughs> Wait, is awake. <laughs> yeah, the 15 member is awake. <laughs> She'll be asleep in a minute. A more professional podcast will stop when we record. <laughs> no. are, we, are we just going to edit clips out or something? No. no People like the personal touch. <laughs> this is a bit ridiculous. <laughs> Come on, then, guys, start again. So, how did you guys start sign up all the way from the back? Yeah, so, well, the, the, well, I guess we started it after we had met each other. So we first met each other at Bradford University in 2011 when we were doing our pre-medical course. And the idea for sign-up obviously didn't come out of nowhere. We were teaching each other how to study by essentially making quizzes for each other on, what, Word documents, pieces of paper. There was, a, there was a thing called CRAM, which, which you can't get now, but like a little really basic app where yeah. you let you write questions it's like an iPhone and iPad app where it, the, the main idea behind the whole thing was because we just got sick and tired of reading through books and so creating quizzes and then challenging each other was a really good and competitive way to get going because at least it kept our interest so f- fast forward a year or so at the end of our first year in med school um, we decided to keep this tradition going I, I suppose and we made close to a thousand questions I think and decided to just make that open to everyone else in our year. So we had about 300 people in our cohort, all using questions that, that James and I had made. And that took off really well. I mean, we had almost everyone using those questions, and they weren't in a particularly good format. They were, you know, spread throughout Facebook and spread throughout different Word documents. And so over that summer, we decided that this was something interesting that we did want to pursue, and... Whilst none of us were superly technical in terms of making apps and making websites, we did have enough of an interest in well, being geeks and being technical to then pursue this as a, as a project. And it was at the time, as James will tell you in a minute, it was more of a hobby project before it became what it is now. Yeah, nothing really to add to that. That's, that's about right. 
Well, I suppose when, when you guys are uni, I think, obviously, of course, you are doctors now. And I think that's it seems crazy to a lot of people that don't know you is how you manage to find the time to both make this and, and learn not make this because you, you I mean you both learned how to do this sort of on the fly and and while you're doing it I know you, you always say you hacked together the first sort of app um yeah it, it? it seems weird to me now I think if, if if I was looking back and that I'd sort of added up all the hours that we'd spent on it and compared to that to all the time that we sort of had to be in hospital and stuff like that it, it that would seem like a really daunting task to me as well but it, it never really well, it, it did at times, like there's times when you're doing exams and you're trying to pass your exams and you're also trying to make sure that other people doing their exams are sort of, while well, the site's not crashing and stuff yeah. like that. So there were definitely stressful times, but ultimately we'd always just decided every year that we had a good thing going with Synap, we that could be a uh, like a career path for us in the future. We didn't want to let it drop, so therefore we just had to carry on with it and yeah. keep it ticking over. You know, we've had people um, helping us out and supporting us in various ways, but yeah it basically just comes down to the fact that we, we didn't want to uh, have it dead in the water and yeah. we didn't want to drop out of uni and we wanted to keep both doing so we we had to do the accounts we had to um keep everything else get going and of course then you find um things that you can sacrifice to try and you know get that extra time so whether that's not seeing your friends as much getting less sleep uh dare i say missing university every now and then not too often um, eventually, you know, we, we managed to get to a stage where we had a routine going and we knew what things to focus on. There was a lot of things that we wanted to do with sign up, which we wanted to do years ago, but we had to wait until we actually graduate and have the time to do it full time. Yeah. So did you use sign up for your own studies then? Uh, yeah, like it, it intensively. Like, so now sign up is like our full time thing and it's, it's, it's a business. When it started, we were like literally just using it wasn't sign up at the time but any tool we could find to sort of write questions see how we we're improving over time and that sort of thing like I like to be able to track my progress on stuff so if I can see like a graph with scores going up or if I can take questions and see that I've done better than I did yesterday and that's my favorite way to study I like to stay keep my brain like quite active because I tend to shut off really quickly when I'm just reading so I like sort of like interactive revision methods and stuff that's um can be objectively marked Oh, that's great. So uh, what would you say have been the biggest wins uh, for SciNAP over the past few years? I think the first big win we had was literally within a few weeks of the launch of the very first version of SciNAP, which was um, at the time called MyCQs. We just kind of threw it out there, let the students in our year use it. We didn't stop non-medics and people outside of Leeds University from using it, because why not let them? Were they making questions as well? Yeah, yeah, they were. And But like I said, even though you know our focus was at medics, and especially medics at our own university, we let the website be open for everyone else. And one day, James was just coming back from a flight, and I was just there doing my work as usual. And out of nowhere, we just started getting tens of thousands of downloads within hours and it was the first time we felt that we'd actually we were really onto something because it went viral yeah so were you guys using spaced uh, repetition by that point or was it mainly just a quiz based format it was just a quiz based format at the time it was the uh, app and the website were both very primitive and whilst we were going through iterations to add new features uh, it hadn't really crossed our mind at that time wow so to have thousands of people already using it Mm-hmm. At that point, wow, that's Just on the space repetition, like Charlotte mentioned it in the last episode, like you end up doing it almost accidentally because you, you learn that it, you might get 100% of questions right one day and then the next day and then the next day. 
because you're not really challenging your brain, you're not giving it the opportunity to forget stuff, you, you naturally think, okay, well, I'll try this in a week or uh, in 10 days or something like that. So the space repetition just came in, I think, as we tried to systematise that sort of natural inclination that you have. And with with respect to learning, because I think there's sort of two, there's a lot of aspects of learning that is on sign up. There's actually taking the quizzes, which is obviously sort of the, the simplest way to, to sort of see the site as an mm. education tool. But I think there's a, a huge merit in making quizzes and breaking down content into a bite-sized chunk and explaining to yourself why that's yeah, and it, it's, like that. Yeah, and it's, it's a harder thing to sell to people that one because it, it requires more of like a time investment up front yeah. to sort of write, um, let's say, 10 questions than it is to sort of take them. Yeah. Uh, and also it's harder to get people to write a multiple choice question than it is to get them to do a flashcard or something like yeah. that because a flashcard's not really a question, it's like a prompt. Yeah. And then on the other side you've got um, the answer mm-hmm. and you ask yourself whether you would have got it right or not. No, it's, I, not, it's not just true or false either. You have to come up with. Yeah, it's not yeah. just it's not just true or false, and you can do flashcards that are, that are not just true or false. But you, you tend to sort of well, definitely when I've been taking it, I've used things like Anki and, and Quizlet and stuff like that. And you read it, and then you flip it over, and you go, "Well, yeah, I was going to say that." Yeah. Or, yeah that's roughly yeah. what I had in mind. So you're not really like objectively testing yourself on it. Whereas to write an actual multiple choice question like you do on sign up. First of all, you've got to go through your course content in a way where you're looking for the wrong answers or, or things that are going to be common pitfalls for people. Yeah. That's the exact way that your examiners and the people that write mm-hmm. these tests are going to be doing it. And it also forces you to do... So in medicine, we have a lot of things called SBAs, which are essentially a multiple choice question, but none of the answers are exactly wrong. Yeah. There's what, just some that are a single best answer. So it, it might, in medicine, it might be, uh, you know, Mrs. Jones is a 73-year-old lady who comes into hospital with this, this and that. What would be the um, most appropriate thing to do first? And the options might be something like uh, get a chest x-ray, do an ECG, uh, deliver fluids, call a senior for help. And it's like all of those things might be pretty reasonable things to do. But the question is, what do you need to do first? Um, so it makes you sort of apply the knowledge in a more realistic way. And I think when you're talking about multiple choice as, as a format to people people think it's a sort of thing that you do when you're a kid and that these easy questions that yeah. you might get on like biology or something like that but even like consultants exams will be written in multiple choice format they're just very difficult very specific sba style questions yeah and it is in it like you said like you touched on there it is getting your getting into the mindset of not just a student but of a question maker yeah and you're automatically just going to help yourself so much with your revision because you know, you're changing your perspective and you are stripping content and things down to, to sort of the, the key understanding and, and like you say so there's very often in multiple choice questions when yeah. you get to a certain level there's not they are all reasonable it's it's not it, you know you could pick any logic uh, well it's, it's, to, it's to do with writing just generally like um, you know if everyone here's uh, been writing a few blog posts over the last couple of weeks do you know when you you think you understand something then you try and explain it to someone um, or you try and yeah. write it and actually all of these gaps in your knowledge come rising to the surface well, the question is just like a bite-sized format of that. It's like you might think you understand the chest compression algorithms or why you administer this type of fluid to this type of patient. But until you like sit down and try and write it down and follow that train of thought through, you don't necessarily know why you know it. So it does force you to do that. And then once you've gone through that process, it's probably helpful to revisit the question a couple of times. But to a large extent, you've done your studying job then just by writing the question. Yeah. And then just to, I guess, exemplify 
why having distractions in your questions is a good way of learning. Just explain distractions. So a distraction is essentially a wrong answer or a less correct answer that you put in your multiple choice question. And the reason why trying to find those is a really good way to try and you know, hone down your knowledge and understand a topic is because you might know why a certain thing is right, but that doesn't mean that you know of all the different instances where, why it might be wrong. And that's exactly where you get questioned on in your exam. So you might you might know that uh, in situation X you, you have to do a chest x-ray and therefore you have that bit of knowledge. What you don't know is if the situation changes by a little bit, what what, what else you might have to do first. And that, that's why um, creating questions is a really good way of actually seeing if you can apply the knowledge. And a great thing with authors that they can actually explain what um, why each answer, which is right, why it is right um, within the feedback as well as explaining why other question answers are distractors as well so yeah. you, you do learn about the uh, uh, information just from the feedback alone yeah and you you know that Manish because yeah. you've wrote a book you wrote a book sorry wrote a bunch of questions for your students um last year there's a bunch of chemistry GCSE questions on there did you find that a helpful process to go through yeah it's definitely good for the feedback because obviously you include um, misconceptions in the answers and these are misconceptions that students have themselves so, yeah. it's, so it's not just picking random wrong answers it's yeah. you know where people commonly go wrong yeah and you explain why they are misconceptions why the answer itself is right so it's a good way to sort of expand it's not just a question and answer format you've also got the feedback to expand on the learning as well yeah um, so just going back to the questions actually James what would you say has been your biggest win um, as a slight aside, I think just graduating a couple of months ago was one because it got it got exponentially sort of harder each year. Or there was like a new challenge. So mm. by the time we were in our third year of medicine, we were trying to raise two hundred thousand um, from CrowdQ and trying to pass our third year exams, and we sort of just about managed to do that. Then in the next year, we were looking to um, secure a certain amount of revenue or capture a certain amount of the market and past fourth year exams, which are really difficult. And then by this time, we were trying to make sure that we had sort of jobs to offer and an office to move into and to pass our final exams. And it just felt at each time, like you know, the start of each year, maybe we've bitten off more than we can chew this time. Maybe we're going to get 99% of where we need to in medicine and 99% of where we need to in sign up, but therefore we're going to fail at both of them. And that was quite stressful. But, you know, to, to have done it now and to, to not have felt sort of like they were doing the wrong thing or sort of being stupid by trying to take on both uh, was huge. I think our biggest win and definitely the thing that's changed the trajectory of sign up the most has been um, partnership with um, Oxford University Press. So we signed up for a long time was a user generated content platform. Uh, in startup terms, it's a, it's a two-sided marketplace um, similar to sort of Etsy or eBay or Airbnb and that we've got uh, we've got users who create and consume content and uh, one fuels the other. So we've been trying to sort of build up the platform for that. We always wanted to work with publishers at some point, so sort of taking their content from textbooks and handbooks and other resources, digitising them and publishing them online in a bite-sized format, which is what obviously Signup's geared to do. Um, it, it just came earlier than we, we thought, so uh, we, we got in contact with um, people from Oxford University Press who were a really well-renowned publisher of a variety of textbooks, but they're particularly well-known in the medical space. And we started to offer some of their most popular questions via sign-up. And that totally changed um, what we were able to do. So suddenly we were able to speak to universities a lot more because we've got this content that's been verified and peer-reviewed, which is a really important thing. We've got this stuff that's honed um, in particular to the UK and the Commonwealth um, curriculum. 
Uh, but either way, it gave us a great um, it gave us a great sort of leg up uh, in terms of sign up, and it gave us a focus for the rest of the year, and gave us a great revision resource yeah. as well. What about you, Emma? What about what personal or sort of sign up related achievement would you sort of you most proud of? Yeah, so I guess a lot of the things that I I find as wins would just resonate with the things that James has said. So no doubt the partner partnership with Oxford University Press has been the biggest um, achievement for us. Mm. Having said that, there's a lot of smaller things here and there that um, you know a lot of people won't be aware of. So, for example, when Oxford came up to us and they had this wealth of content that they wanted to get on and digitise and onto sign up, yeah, that wasn't a straightforward process. It it required an in, insane amount of. It's straightforward a, for me. I just said, do it. Do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so just to give you an idea, the, the the files that they gave to us were not just here's a question, here's the right answer. Here's the explanation. Yeah. They were made to be transcribed onto print. So I spent much of my electives, which is the um, six-week placement that you do abroad in med school. Um, so I was uh, in Malaysia at the time, and that was around the time in Oxford were in talks with us and they were giving us this material. So I spent a lot of time in cafes in, in Malaysia trying to get my head around this. And it wasn't until I was on the flight home back to the UK where I finally cracked it and managed to upload three of the six books, um, 36,000 feet in the air, which was yeah. absolutely uh, wow. one, of the, one of the best things I've ever done. <laughs> That's at least 30,000 feet higher than our competitors. <laughs> I mean, when you say books, like, just give us an idea of how many questions. Yeah, so... They are huge. I mean, overall, the, the, the questions in the first batch were about 3,000. Um, each book varied from anywhere between two to three hundred to yeah. a thousand questions, and it's not just that they had one type of question. So multiple choice questions, obviously, something we've been discussing, but there's something called extended multiple choice questions, yeah. where you have one um, set of answers but many different questions that go with it. We've also got a, a type of test called the situational judgment test. It's a test that fifth year medical students have to pass and get a certain score to be placed in different uni- uh, different hospitals when they graduate. And that had, for example, ranked questions where you rank things from one to five, yeah. uh, multiple correct answers, and all these things sign up hadn't supported at the time. So it wasn't just a case of taking what um, Oxford gave to us and just converting into our own system. I had to build a new system and then convert it, and all within a space of about two weeks. On, on a plane. On a plane. I bet people yeah. were terrified of you. <laughs> just like this, this black screen and with all this code going across. I can just picture it now. Yeah. <laughs> right, guys, what about crowdfunding? Like, how did that work? So you've mentioned a bit of it before. So, because, like, I, mean, I know a lot of people ask you about this uh, whenever... Yeah, well, think... crowdfunding gets a lot of um, attention at the moment because it's a, uh, well... Okay, so people in the UK will be more familiar with, with Crowdcube and sort of what we call equity crowdfunding. It's probably worth just explaining it to people in the States because um, equity crowdfunding has only just come out over there. So there's websites like Indiegogo and Kickstarter, which are basically you're, you're pre-ordering a product or getting like a perk from it. Um, Crowdcube, which we went with, instead you're basically contacting a lot of angel investors at once and they're getting a percentage of your business in return. So we... For a long time, ran sign up with almost literally no budget. Uh, we were just sort of hosting it out of money in our, our back pocket, which as students wasn't huge. Um, but, you know, we, we were doing everything in-house, so it wasn't costing us a load either. Uh, we eventually got a bit of money in from the University of Leeds, um, who got a great enterprise department who really helped, and from an educational charity called JISC, uh, based in Bristol in the UK. When we started to get 
uh, bigger and we wanted to sort of get some proper design on board and um, start reaching out to companies and that kind of thing we thought that we need to get some some, some money in um, we looked at various different ones but we, we chose to go with crowdcube um, and yeah it was it was a really intense experience it probably took about four to six months um, all in I think a lot of people have this perception that you sort of that crowdfunding is like an easy way to get money in and it's not because even though each individual investor might not sort of sit you down and take you through six due diligence meeting like yeah. a traditional um, venture capitalist investor would you are getting that sort of wisdom of crowds thing from it so you, we have 140 investors who've invested various amounts from 10 pound to 50,000 and each of those investors are going to have some questions or they're going to scan your pitch, your backgrounds and stuff like that in slightly different ways. So we've got teachers investing, we've got um, lawyers investing, people coming from a more traditional um, investment background, and they're all analysing the business idea and the proposal from their own sort of filters and asking you questions. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, it, it was a great experience. Um, it totally transformed um, SignUp and the way that we view the company. I think that was one of the milestones that we both sort of took a step back and thought, whoa, okay, this is shaping up to be a full-time thing. And, yeah, maybe it's worth doing a whole episode on that even. Yeah, it, a lot to talk I, about it is the thing that people, I think if you're at an event, it seems to be what people ask you are, especially people that have got a small business and maybe it's just them. Yeah, and I think the thing about crowdfunding, it can be used for a variety of things. So, you know, we did it to fund a business, but people are funding, like, albums yeah. or sort of live exhibits and art and stuff through it as well. Yeah. So it's it's probably something that's relevant to a, to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, education, and in particular, seems to do quite well on crowdfunding because people want to feel like they're investing in something that's got, like, a very tangible social return on yeah. it. And also, everyone's been through formal education at some point, so it's something that a lot of people can relate to. Yeah. And I think another thing, speaking of things that I think you know I think it's a frequent thing that you're asked about or that you talk about I think you both talk uh I think it's really lovely when you talk about like the merits of doing it as a team doing it as a partnership and having a co-founder and I think you know you both give I've seen you both speak separately about this and I think you both give really good explanations as to what you sort of think about that sure uh go on let me start on this one um yeah, a lot of people ask me, do you need a co-founder in it? And it's especially people who've got like some technical know-how or some sort of business experience. So some with business experience usually tends to think that they can uh, sort of outsource the development or um, get, get a developer in. Uh, someone with technical experience and business experience probably underestimates the amount of stuff that there is on, on the business aspect. Like yeah. you can just sort of build it and they will come kind of thing. And I'd say it's very rare to get someone who's, good at both of those things and even when you do I can't think of a scenario where that person couldn't be improved by having a partner who mm. thinks similarly or a bit different to them yeah. trying to bounce ideas off so in our case I think me and Omer do speak similarly we've not actually had an argument insofar as I can no, think which is yeah. strange we disagreed on stuff but we, we can usually work things out pretty well uh, but even where we think similarly just having someone sort of bounce those ideas off because you don't I don't think you can force yourself to think about something until you've got someone acting as like devil's advocate or the opposing force yeah. in that and now that our roles have diversified a bit more um, we see things from a different angle so if I'm talking about wanting to implement a new feature my primary thing is going to be sort of like the business objectives towards it 
I understand the technical complexities and Omer understands the business objectives, but Omer is going to approach it from a technical point first, sort of, okay, well, this is going to take a week. That's a week that I could have spent doing on this. So are mm-hmm. you sure it's the most Yeah, so I guess thing? it's the pushback that's important, but it's also good to know that uh, any new goals that we set are seen from all perspectives. So obviously James is going to focus on the business objectives first and see if that's the right thing to do. Yeah. That doesn't mean that we can achieve absolutely everything because obviously we've got a limited budget, we've got limited resources, limited um, sort of experience. And so I have to then push back and say, well, yes, this might be the best thing in, in an ideal world, but this is what we're going to realistically achieve. Yeah. And sometimes I might push back a bit too far because I'm, I'm so involved in the actual mm-hmm. development side of it that I forget that actually maybe this is the most um, important thing for sign up at the time. Yeah. And so it's good that we, we can push back each other and find a good sort of balance. Yeah, and, and watching you to work, you can definitely see that. Like, yeah. you, you don't just walk up to our and go, Bill, do this. And because and, and, you understand the... Your technical... Well, you're, 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 you are good at all the technical stuff, but, like, you understand that some things... You wouldn't go and ask them to do something ridiculous that would take him two months and you'd have to sit in the dark. Yeah, and, and, you know, and I've, I've, been, I've been involved <laughs> in projects where that isn't the case and there is yeah. like a divide yeah. between sort of products and, and, and marketing or technical and non-technical. And it's, I think certain things everyone understands are going to take a long time. So uh, if someone decided to have a whole redesign of the site, people who are not technical know that that's going to take a long time. But sometimes there are things that seem relatively small, yeah. like changing one button or changing this oh I can't can't think of a tangible example but I I know I have a good idea of what's going to take a long time and what's not and I I can suggest sort of ways to do it which Mm -hmm. I think helps so then yeah I think maybe it's an 80-20 thing so I guess I'm 20% technical now and 80% non-technical almost the other way around but definitely having a bit of that insight there and let's just flip it around a sec I know it's meant to be um, you guys interviewing us but since you started, you've been doing bits of uh, Python and you've been doing bits of HTML and CSS and, you know, it's not it's not loads. You, you couldn't like, build a website from scratch or anything at the moment, but do you feel like it's sort of influenced your thinking of how computers think and how that kind of thing works? Um, well, it's definitely helped me appreciate how much OMED does. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually thought it would, would be easier, perhaps. I mean, it, I picked it up all right, but definitely a lot more appreciation for how hard Omer works and just how deep it could go with designing the website and you know it, it, it isn't easy and I can see why he enters the matrix when he does it and <laughs> when you ask him a question he doesn't quite respond <laughs> or he well. does respond yeah. it's just nonsense yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no and I, I it's, it's a huge appreciation it's a hu- it, and I think like, like we were saying at the beginning I, I don't know how you did it while you were yeah. doing medicine as well and I, th- I think that's <coughs> that you can see people shock when, when they're like, oh, you're doctors, oh, real doctors. And then, then yeah. they're I very like, shocked. I like to just not tell them. No, I know, and you do, and you introduce that. And I, it's, I feel like it's my full-time job to correct yeah. people. And I'm like, no, doctor, 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 <laughs> doctor, Omer. I didn't want to say it wrong again. Um, and no, so it's really impressive. But in, in terms of... Um, yeah, I think learning Python's been like probably one of the law like starting to learn it and it's frustrating, it's annoying, but then you can get a thing to do another thing. Yeah. And like you've done that. Oh, it's funny. Yeah. I mean, you said similar thing in that it's just it's just logical, but yeah. I think it's probably true for anything, but when you're sitting on the outside of a certain thing, where it's a website or sort of yeah. a car or something like that, or building an engine, you sort of you can't possibly understand the the complexities that 
go yeah. through. So architecture, for example, I know it's going to be really, really complicated. I yeah. know there's a reason why it's seven years and all the rest of it. But, you just think but there's a crowns. part of me that just feels like, <laughs> well, you just get some bricks and yeah. you sort of build yeah. a thing up and you make sure that it's not heavier than this or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But then I know there's more stuff like air vents and water and stuff like that. But, yeah. And it's probably even more complicated probably than that. Probably <laughs> slightly. Like it's one more complicated. Um, no, and it, it's like a huge appreciation for it, I think. I think everyone... I think it was probably Steve Jobs that said, I think everyone, he said, everyone should learn to code a little bit just to understand how to think. And I think... Oh, yeah, I I think that definitely. I think it's... Yeah, it teaches you a thought process that's uh, really relevant, even if you don't do anything technical, which is increasingly unlikely in 2017. But yeah, I'd recommend people spend a week or so learning programming. Yeah, and I think it helps you in all aspects because I think when I was explaining it to my mum and uh, she, she, she was watching, she was watching when I was practicing some Python bits and bobs and she was like, God, that's really long. What's that doing? It was something dead simple. It, it was something, yeah. it was just like a loop on a, on a program, but it looked really long and complicated, but it wasn't. And um, she was like, oh, that's basically what she did, does with the dog. She has to teach them each step. So mm. they'll, they'll end up doing a really complicated trick, but actually it's just sit and lie down, extended into yeah. something much more complicated. And um, yeah, I think everyone should learn Yeah, if you can visualise that as a loop or an if. And yeah, that and, and that's exactly, and she explained it really well then too. Uh, people how it works i'd say also i mean it's great to see when things do work well but also when things go wrong and how to solve problems from it i mean mm. obviously with html at the moment it's not i'm not not that far into it but it's it's quite logical when something goes wrong and you can address that but obviously seeing when something goes wrong with the site and how quickly omer can now just jump on that and fix it i mean yeah. it's great to see how yeah, oh, I mean, initially when something together. goes wrong, it, it could be... Not that that happens often. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, very rare. <laughs> you, you know, the number of avenues you can follow just is so vast that my first step is to go, oh my God, what if this is a huge issue? But yeah. it's usually just follow, you know, follow the trace and the, the solution might be as simple as adding one line and that's about it. So uh, I guess having started learning HTML, you're probably going to start seeing that more and more and as you progress further i don't know how far you you wanting to take that but um take eventually i might i might ask you to start working on the website on my yes. behalf yeah <laughs> so definitely you guys face some challenges with the website as you mentioned do what have what are the challenges you think you faced over the years i think um just i guess it was sticking to technical but not on the website getting a, a working android app uh, out has been one of the most challenging tasks we, we actually did have an android app in one of the previous iterations of sign up um, but for those unaware and if for those that are just iphone listeners android can have hundreds and hundreds of different screen sizes and uh, right. different variations and uh, flavors of the exact same thing and so there's a lot more that can go wrong and it's it's something that i've, I've struggled to sort of get a stable version out and so but for those listening there are android users we are working on it and it will come out hopefully within the next month okay um guys what three tips would you suggest to anyone who wanted to start their own education tech ed tech business so who wants to start uh go on should we do what three each three between us between us i think <laughs> there's only so many tips um, <laughs> i'd say try and solve a problem rather than just sort of um well the metaphor I've, people have used before is do a painkiller and not a vitamin so I do something that genuinely solves a problem or a pain point that people have got rather than just sort of trying to make something better because yeah. unless you're going to make it like 10 times better it's going to be hard to get a compelling use case in there that makes well teachers sort of drop their existing training methods and do it that makes students 
um, drop their existing practice and do it. I think ultimately your closest competitor usually in this market isn't the next best app. It's just doing it on paper or yeah. just sort of reading it or something like that. Um, I think a lot of things when people starting up with a business idea, and I'm hearing this more and more often nowadays, is, oh, but I, I just want to do something to help people, but, you know, I'm not really interested in the money side of it. But and I, I know this is kind of stepping away from just ed tech and going more into business, but... I'll do it anyway. <laughs> I'll do, I'm going to do it anyways because it is really important to keep the business side of it in mind and the, the, you know, the finances in mind because otherwise you're not going to be viable, you're not going to be sustainable, mm. and no, no investor is going to pay attention to you. And obviously if you're not paying attention to those things, then the, the, the amount that you might charge to your future customers, even if you know, you're trying to be a non-profit, is going to be so high because you've not focused on making yourself and your company yeah. more efficient. So those, you know, those costs are going to go down. And, and leaving aside investors, like even like if you're trying to get like schools or teachers to back what you do, they're going to want to know that it's sustainable because they're going to start investing time and resources into it themselves. And so they want to know that, there's, that you're going to be around in five years. Yeah, so I, I, I guess it's getting rid of that guilt that a lot of people have inside them that we, we, we don't want to be focusing, focusing on the money. We want to just build a good product. But I think you can't, you can't separate the two. And final one, I guess, just be a user of your own product, especially if you're a student at the time. Um, you, we managed to get sign up and running really quickly and do something that you know, had the potential to go viral and things like that because we were literally using it day in, day out to pass our own exams. Yeah. And it meant that if there was something that wasn't quite right about it, we could identify it and, um, and change it really quickly. And by not right, I don't just mean like a bug or something actively not working, but just something that just didn't feel quite right. Or it's like you take your 10th test that day and you realise that it's not rewarded you in some way or yeah. just the psychology of it wasn't really in place. So if you can use your product, you'll end up with something a lot more fine-tuned to what people actually need than you otherwise will have done. Yeah. No, I think that, I, I like I said, when you've done talks and stuff, I think those are like, I know those are the bits that people like the make a painkiller not a vitamin is yeah. especially a, a really good way to explain it because so much stuff there's a lot of stuff on the internet and there's so many bad bad ideas out there that are just not doing anything that you mm. know you wouldn't swap like you say pen and paper to go and yeah do some i mean ultimately like, like we i think all of us like love sort of well we use evernote but we love writing stuff on paper as well because yeah, yeah. it's actually you know it's not that it's bad so you've yeah. got to ask yourself, well, what's it actually doing that, mm, that the, couldn't be done before? There was a startup in Silicon Valley um, recently. I think they raised hundreds of millions of pounds. And all dollars, I did probably. was... Well, dollars, yeah. <laughs> they, they made something that was essentially pressing a bag of juice into a glass. Um, and they charged, I think, somewhere in the region of $400 per wow. unit. And then they said things like, oh, it does it faster than a human would. A human wouldn't be able to do it because the bag is too, too strong. It did what? Uh, it pressed a bag. It just bag. pressed a bag of juice. I don't even into, know what that means. I want to kind of Google it now. Just a bag that contains juice in it. It pressed it and it made a smoothie. But then uh, I can't remember which like, journalist. Like not a fruit or like. No, no, oh, just bags. He's of right, guys. Yeah. And <laughs> so, oh my god. I know there was a new oh, news agency that so. just. Essentially, so you put the vegetables into like a ziplock. Yeah, I think it comes. Like, oh no! So you have to buy the bag. Yes, of course. Yeah. With the vegetables in it. Yeah. But right. why not just sell juice? No, because you're not thinking. <laughs> of, you're not thinking in the startup world. <laughs> <laughs> what? I of need... course, it's kale. Of course, it's advertised with kale juice is the number one. 
Well, they they claim that uh, a human wouldn't be able to squeeze it, and a news news agency did just that. Really, they just squeezed it with their Obviously. hands, and that was the end of that startup. Oh no! And I'm, I'm sure a lot of investors lost money because of that. I know. Well, there are there's a lot, and I think there is. A, I think we've we've talked about this a lot, and, and it does come up that there's a bubble. There's a there's a bubble brewing. There's, there's, probably, a, there's probably an episode to do about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Sure, yeah you would just try it yourself, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I guess in in this sort of not not going too far off the point. They weren't fixing something that was really a pain point. No one minded or putting juice. Yeah, exactly. No one minded just putting a bit of juice in a glass. Mm. In fact, the really part problem, of having this yeah. movie is the fact you've made it yourself, and yeah. it's the yeah. it's the ritual of doing or, or it. Do right. some sort of exercise with your hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, oh, there's, there's so many issues with that, but yeah, I just can't even. I'm sure they did get a lot of investment as well, mm. and I think that's important as well for anyone that's like looking into the startup world. That there is a lot of noise, and when you know if you go on like websites and look at like some of the businesses that are funding up, just because they sound cool and just because they yeah. sound like they do good, it doesn't necessarily do good. And I think that should be, uh, well, it's personally for me mm. that's a and the proof of pudding is in do people actually use it? Yeah. Um, afterwards and stuff like that. So. Yeah. No, it's good. Cool. Are you guys yeah. happy? So just, yeah. Well, yeah, I thought it was a good interview. Well yeah. done, guys. Cool. Should we not sign it off? Or just yeah, that was, that's what I was uh, waiting on someone to do. Oh, you want me to sign up? Right, okay. Well, we yeah. can't sign it off. It's our interview. Ooh, all right. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. Um, we'll probably, yeah, we will sort of side some topics and get back with some podcasts really soon. Yeah, and in the meantime, feel free to sign up for an account at signup, S-Y-N-A-P dot A-C. Thanks again. Bye. <laughs>